Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Draft Site's eighth edition of Draft Site Radio. It's our eighth episode for the podcast. Today we are joined by DJ Boyer. Jared Belson. Today's show is actually sponsored. We have our first sponsor, DJ. It's Wonderful. sponsored by snoozester.com. That's S-N-O-O-Z-E-S-T-E-R. So snooze, stir. And what they are is a wake-up call and reminder call site. So if, you, uh, if you're on the road or you're one of those who sets three alarms, you want to get a call to wake you up and you have family or friends calling you as it is, you set a wake-up call through the system, and they'll call you. You can choose different voices. Uh, you set a reminder call through the system, and whatever you type in is played over to you through the phone. It's a great system. So sign up. You get 10 free calls, and today they are a sponsor. Wonderful. Sounds like something that would be useful to me. I've, uh, I'm one of those guys that usually needs two to three, uh, two to three wake-ups on my phone I usually set for myself. So. I know all about that. Very valuable service, and you can probably uh, change that up and get some different tones or some different uh, wake-up calls each and every time. I kind of mix it up. That's that's wonderful to have. Well, I think that's because you don't actually sleep, TJ. <laughs> I don't sleep that that much. That is true. All right. Well, let's get on with the call. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about – we're going to talk some college football. DJ has been coming out with his all-conference teams all week, and – there's been a lot of players that have declared for the draft, so we're going to talk about some of them. We're going to talk about the NFL draft itself. And then when Zach joins us, we'll get into the NFL playoff race and uh, some ins and ends around that. So let's get started. DJ, you just released the All-American Athletic Conference um, team today. You started telling me before that one of the players who is your defensive player of the year you actually think might declare, and he's a sophomore. That's Jacoby Glenn out of Central Florida. Tell us about him. I think there's a good chance we're going to see Jacoby actually declare. Not the the largest size. I, I think he's probably going to measure in at just, just above or just under six feet. He's right around in that 5'11", just maybe six foot and one half inch, uh, and you're at least looking for some corners who are about six feet tall. Receivers seem to be getting taller and taller in today's NFL, and of course, more mismatches, we see more and more tight ends actually being split out. So size is becoming very, very important. Size with with people that can run. Uh, seven interceptions. He did lead in the conference, and I. The more I'm, I'm watching him, he could be the number one corner because this is a this is a class where the, the cornerbacks I'd say it's a little bit down from what we've seen in years past, and there's really not a clear cut number one corner uh, at this moment. It's very possible we don't see a corner go in the top ten, and I think because of that, a player like who is a redshirt sophomore, so he is eligible. We usually see about three, four, five of them declare each and every draft. Um, we, we've already had one, Gerard Holloman, who led the NCAA in interceptions, is actually a redshirt sophomore from Louisville. You could see those guys as uh, some of the top guys in the secondary, possibly being the top corner if he declares. Holloman, I think right now, would probably be number two, probably that best ball-hawking safety we've seen, but probably behind Landon Collins, the safety from Alabama. And I think there's going to be a battle as far as who's that number two uh, safety that uh, is going to declare. I think Holloman's got a very good shot at being that guy and going in the first round. So there's a few other guys that you have 
on your list here. You have the top draft prospects by position for offense and defense at every position. Out of all those guys, you just talked about Jacoby Glenn, but who else? Who else in the uh, American Athletic Conference could potentially sneak into the first round? Uh, as, as far as some of the topics there, you know, one one name that always comes up is, is people who've listened or, or read anything of mine this year knows that I'm absolutely enamored with Shane Carden, the quarterback who I believe uh, the American Athletic Conference gave him player of the year. Uh, I, while I think he's a very good quarterback, I actually went with uh, the wide receiver there, Justin Hardy, and I think both of those are probably third or fourth round uh, prospects. Hardy's actually uh, caught more passes now than anyone in, in history at the, at the FBS level. He set that record this year. So I, I think there's a, there's a couple of players there. There's a, a couple of other people who I think have the potential, if, if they declare. Uh, a player like uh, Tyler Matikiewicz, the uh, linebacker from Temple, is another guy who I seem to be probably a little higher on than many of the other, uh, I'd say, pundits or, or draft sites out there. 117 tackles, very active for Temple. Uh, another guy who I think could be Maybe not a first-rounder, but very, very high on a number of boards. Uh, I think he doesn't get the, the recognition that he really deserves. And this is one of the reasons we did this. We see so much with, with many sites or, or many other places that just give you, look, these are this is like the first team, the second team, maybe the, uh, the alternates, uh, honorable mentions. But, you know, you don't really see that, uh, that focus on uh, where these guys are going to translate in the NFL. Um, Lorenzo Doss, another very good uh, corner who's got the possibility of, of possibly uh, being a third or fourth round pick, a little bit undersized, but the fact that he's got some return ability, um, I think it's going to do him well. Deontay Greenberry, good wide receiver out of Houston, even though he wasn't among, I'd say, uh, had that breakout year. Uh, Houston did have some, some issues at quarterback, but uh, he still he still performed very well. Good size at 6'2 and about 200 pounds. I see him as being a Right now, a third-rounder who I think could move up. He doesn't have blazing speed, but he's a very good route runner, very short hands. Uh, someone who seems to just have a knack for finding the end zone and being a pretty good target there. Again, I think his numbers were down a little bit because more of the uh, inconsistency we saw at the quarterback position. So uh, there, there's some pretty good um, prospects here in the, the American Athletic Conference. And this week, we should see the remaining of the, the big five as we see now. I've, I've kind of went from the Sun Belt all the way through to the All-American Athletic, and we're going to be starting with the ACC next and getting the, the big five, as they say, with the ACC, Big 12, Big 10, Pac-12, and, and the SEC, of course, remaining. Well, before we move on from the AAC, uh, one other guy I wanted to talk about was Eric LaFeld. Uh, this is a guy who almost declared last year as a six foot six offensive tackle from Cincinnati, I mean, this is a type of this is a type of player who, if he does well in the measurables and he uh, and he's got some speed, he could sneak into a first round. I mean, because this is a left tackle we're talking about. He's a guy that I'm a little bit surprised didn't actually declare last year because he did have a, a very solid ending uh, to the season. Um, actually, only allowed one sack last year. And, you know, for some of the smaller schools or smaller conferences, Cincinnati has done a very good job at, at uh, getting prospects to the next level. Uh, Trent Cole, who's, a, who's been, of course been a, a very good defensive end. Uh, Connor Barwin is having a big year as well. Um, uh, Fourteen and a half sacks leading the NFC. Those are players from uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati has just seemed to consistently churn out players. Again, maybe not the, the household names, 
uh, when they're at the college level or the big stats, but they've always just seemed to be very friendly, running offense or in defenses that are very pro-style oriented. So it seems to be one of those schools that the teams kind of gravitate toward, and, and they do a, a very good job at the, at the NFL level. So I think because of that, uh, LaFeld is definitely, I think, could, could go in the second round. But uh, as far as offensive tackles, we've seen a couple of those top prospects or people that we thought were going to be top 10 or top 15 picks kind of falter this year. Cedric Ogboyhe from Texas A&M being a very good example. So a couple of those top tackles have fallen. So there's room for one or two guys to really make a push up the board. I think a player like Eric LaFeld, maybe a Sean Hickey from uh, Syracuse is another player. That's a possibility of going very, very high. We saw that with Justin Pugh out of Syracuse just a few years ago and actually landing with the Giants in the first round. So we could see history repeat itself there with a with an Orangeman as well. I think those two guys are, are you know, major conferences, but not real big schools, but that seem to do pretty good with prospects. Those could be two guys that, that could go at the end of that first round. Well, there's one guy in your previous all-conference team, and that was in the Mountain West, Ty Sambrello from Colorado State. He's an offensive tackle. He's 6'5", 3'10". He's a guy that, you know, we've uh, talked about, and, and you mentioned he could go in the first or second round. What do you think about him? Very good. What I like about him is balance. He's A lot of times when you see these top prospects, you say, this is a prospect who's a you know, it's going to depend on where they go, but maybe a team looks at this player because he's a better run run blocker. Maybe he's a better pass blocker. So maybe X and Y teams might be looking at this prospect because he seems to fit the system better. I don't think uh, Sombrello has probably made the biggest strides. He was probably about a fourth or fifth rounder when the season began. I actually believe I had him ranked in the, in the sixth round. Um, but I would say of the top prospects, he probably shows the most balance that I've seen at the offensive tackle position. A uh, very good run blocker. We see the fact that you lose a guy like Capri Bibbs uh, was the, the leading rusher uh, just a couple of seasons ago with Colorado State. You got a guy like D. Hart, who was a, a senior who's kind of backed him up, and he still runs for 1,200 yards. And Colorado State is a 10 win uh, season. A lot of that had to do with, with running behind uh, uh, with Ty Sombrello and, and the, the fact that off, that offensive line, and they've got a couple of very good tight ends. They move around the line a lot. There's a lot of three tight end uh, sets there in Colorado State, and they really kind of utilize that power rushing attack. But, again, very, very good with his footwork and, and in pass protection. So there's prospects that I think that are better, but uh, there may not be a prospect in offensive tackle that shows as much balance between the running and the passing game. So I think that's going to make him a, a very valuable commodity. Go in the first round or, or the second round, but he could be one of those players we always see teams that, are kind of afraid of a few players that they don't want him to slip to the second round. They they take another player, but they don't think that player is going to be around when, when they're going to draft in the second round. And we see some teams make some trades to get into the end of that first round, and I think there's about four or five players that would come to mind that are going to be targeted in that area, and I think he's one. So he could be a trade target and could land at the end of the first round with a, with a strong team or one of those mid-pack teams that do not want to wait another 10, 15 picks because they fear that he will be off the board. While we're on the Mountain West, who are some of your other favorite prospects in this conference? J.O.J.I., who I think is a very good running back, uh, had him actually in the top ten for the, for the Heisman rankings at Boise State. And, you know, he, he did get the ball a lot. He's a guy that uh, ran for over 1,600 yards. He doesn't have the average yards per carry. He's not that 70-yard-per-carry guy that you're going to see at a lot of institutions. But what I like is the fact that he caught over 40 passes 
he's a guy that I could see fitting into probably possibly even a West Coast type system where where you're also looking for a power type back. So he's while he's probably not the best running back that you could look for, uh, he, he's one of the few that you could see him possibly being, if he gets the chance to start somewhere or in a couple of years, he's a guy that is a three-down back. He's a Matt Forte-type guy, not the top-end speed, but he's got a nose for the goal, goal line and the fact that he's such a good receiver and has shown the propensity to block and is very good in pass protection there, it makes him a complete back. I currently got him rated as a third-round prospect if he does declare he is a junior. But uh, Tyler Davison, another guy that I really like, defensive tackle at Fresno State. And, again, I've, I've stated defensive tackle might be the strongest position in this draft. But I think that after those first three or four, there's going to be a few teams that are going to target some of these defensive tackles because the drop-off is going to be immense. And Davison, again, uh, a guy who's stout against the run, about 310 pounds, has the NFL-type body, a very strong upper body, eight sacks so he can get after the quarterback. He's not just that big guy that you're going to sit in the middle of your line and just stuff the run. He, can, he definitely has an explosive first step. Uh, Fresno State, another, another college that plays a very pro-style type uh, defense and offense. And, and we're going to see probably three Fresno State guys go in the first uh, three rounds. We're going to have Deron Smith, the safety there, Josh Harper, the wide receiver. They consistently turn out some very good prospects. And I think Tyler Davison is a, is a solid second-rounder. Someone who could sneak in at the end of the first round as well. There's another conference that you profiled recently that doesn't have as many prospects or high-end prospects, uh, at least on your watch, and that's the MAC. Uh, the MAC traditionally has a few good prospects at the Central Michigan, Northern Illinois, a couple of sleepers out of Kent State. We saw Khalil Mack go out of Buffalo last year. But uh, right now you only have one guy – that you project in the third round potentially, and that's Quentin Rollins out of Miami, Ohio. And you have another safety, Deshane Durante out of Northern Illinois, the fourth round. But everyone else is either sixth or seventh or um, undrafted free agents. What do you think accounts for that this year, DJ? Oh, I just think that there's some very good talent there, but I think there's a lot of underclassmen. As a matter of fact, the, the player of the year I think could be – a guy that we're talking about is one of the top running backs uh, in upcoming uh, seasons, Javorian Franklin. You're, you're not going to see this often, but a uh, freshman is actually player of the year, over 1,600 yards, 24 touchdowns, and this is not a guy that's just doing it against small school talent. Uh, they played two games this year against teams in the top 50, and in both games he had over 120 yards. Um, needs to develop a little bit, obviously, with his, his pass-receiving skills, a little more patient when he's running the football, but he's in great uh, blend of power and speed. Again, not top-end speed, but a, a very good, quick first step, and uh, has enough power at about 220 to 225 pounds to really be that power back at the next level. Um, you know, there, there's always been some good safety talent. Uh, we also had Eric Fisher come out a couple of years ago, was the top uh, player at the NFL draft. Uh, out of Central Michigan was actually from this conference as well. Uh, Durante, you know, we did see uh, – his safety meet last year actually going the first round. So um, Northern Illinois players, secondary, it's, we've seen some high picks here before. Quentin Rollins is one of the fastest risers right now. He kind of came out of nowhere in some obscurity, but uh, the fact that he shows some very good size and really played for a team where opposing teams really kind of try to stay away from him, but he always seems to find a way around the football anyway. That's, that's what's impressive. He's a guy that 
you can tell teams are, are seeming to go away from him, but he still finds a way to be around the ball. Uh, Miami does a Miami of Ohio did a very good job at disguising some of their coverages and trying to mix up their packages to to put him in different areas of the field and really not uh, be so I'd say predictable with their defensive settings. And uh, he's a guy that's really flying up the board right now. He, he could find himself in the second round and uh, potentially about the third or fourth corner off the board. It seems like this is the type of year for the secondary where most of the players who come off the board early, either at cornerback or safety, are going to be smaller school guys. Uh, I think it, it almost switches off every year. Sometimes you get, you know, you get the Florida State, LSU, Michigan cornerbacks who are at the top of the board, and then other times you get, you know, the smaller school, UF, UCF, Massachusetts. Based on how it seems, the guys who are coming up the board fast and furiously are the smaller school are from the smaller conferences and and they won't tell you they're smaller conferences but you know the mac uh, conference usa uh, american atlantic conference and uh, what do you think dj do you agree with that statement i think this year the corner corner usually you see more small school guys uh it's a little more depleted there's some depth there there's not the big prospect but it's safety we could see four guys that are actually outside of fbs schools we're talking fbs uh, type players. Daniel Fitzpatrick from Tennessee State, uh, Dean Marlowe from uh, James Madison, uh, Tevin McDonald, who at one time played with UCLA, now plays at Eastern Washington, uh, Jakorski Tart from Stanford. There's a number of very good uh, safeties. All those safeties I mentioned uh, are probably going to go in the top five rounds. You're probably going to see, uh, you know, from rounds three to five, I'd say of the top 15 safeties coming off the board, not only smaller conferences, but I would say five of them are probably going to be outside the FBS level. Uh, there, there's some good corners here, maybe one or two, not as many as we've seen in years past from that, uh, quote, small school or outside the, the FBS. But some of the smaller conferences, um, again, uh, people like Quentin Rollins, if Lorenzo Doss, uh, who I was talking about from Tulane, who's actually a junior, he will have to declare as well. If Jacoby Glenn, uh, who is a redshirt sophomore, declares, uh, we'll see – more of the corners come from the smaller conferences. I think this year the safeties are actually going to come from the smaller schools outside of SDF altogether. You know, there's an interesting safety that I'd like to hear your opinion about. Is He's the brother of Cleveland's star cornerback, Joe, and his name is Jordan Hayden, and that's out of Toledo. He's another safety that you have as one of the top draft prospects in the MAC. Do you think he could be anywhere close to his brother, or do you think having his brother as Joe Hayden might actually help his draft prospects at all? A little bit of both. I, I think that he is a, a better prospect, someone who sometimes you just kind of watch some film and you kind of see the light go on for somebody. It just seems like, wow, two, three games ago, they would have been nowhere near that player. They would not have made, uh, wouldn't have had the instincts or, or had that to be the, taking that angle. And he seems to be a player who just kind of got it this year. Um, there, there's still some flaws in his game. I think most of it has to do with angles. Um, sometimes mistiming his jumps, his aerial play. But, you know, obviously having Joe Hayden as your, as your brother, a, a person that, that many people consider to be one of the top three corners, possibly even the top corner at the NFL level, uh, is definitely not going to hurt your chances. Um, nepotism aside here, I, I don't think he's going to be an, an all-world type guy or, or someone that, Teams are going to be beating down his door to absolutely fall in love with. But as far as a late-round flyer or someone to bring in camp that, that has a lot of upside, absolutely. I think uh, 
teams still realize that he's very raw, but the potential is there. And the fact that he's just starting to put it together now, we've seen that a lot, a lot like a Richard Sherman who actually started on the offensive side of the ball. They bring him uh, to the defense, and he was kind of a late bloomer, a mid-round uh, prospect that kind of got it kind of late uh, in, in, that process, in that process. A Rasheen Mathis, a small school guy from Bethune-Cookman, who just kind of came out of nowhere and was a, was a second rounder, just seemed to just blossom late in, his, late in his career and, again, just seemed to get it at a very late level. That's what we, keep, we could be seeing out of Jordan Hayden. Uh, a conference like that with uh, the Toledos and uh, uh, the Kent State and the Bowling Greens, again, another um, a very, I'd say, underrated conference. But a conference, I would say, in that, uh, in that realm, they, they seem to produce a few more of the offensive linemen more of those, those offensive guards or those centers that are kind of maulers that, that do pretty good at the next level as well. Let's talk about another guy with bloodlines that could help him into the next round. It's a guy out of the Sun Belt that you have as one of the top defensive prospects, and that's Michael Arakpo, the brother of Brian from the Washington Redskins. Arakpo Michael is out of te- uh, Texas State. He's a linebacker as well. Uh, I know he had some knee issues. He tore, I think he tore his uh, MCL and ACL. DJ, what do you think about him as a prospect? Well, I think there it might be more of the character concern. I think everyone knows that this is a guy that you would put in that, quote, athletic freak category. His his numbers as far as uh, vertical jump and things that he can do are just kind of astound you. But, again, he did go to Colorado State. This was a guy that was in the Mountain West Conference, got into, uh, got into uh, trouble a couple of times, and unfortunately uh, moved on to Texas State where it looked like he was just going to be an absolute terror. A-, a program that's actually known for having some good linebackers and defense, it seemed to be a-, a natural fit. I believe it was the fourth game this year, third or fourth game when he actually uh, tore his knee up. So the good thing for him is the fact that the injury occurred very, very early in the season and um, that he should be – uh, fully recovered. Uh, another thing is he had a very serious ankle injury um, toward the end of his time uh, in high school that, that kind of and starting his career at Colorado State was actually with the same leg, but again, that was an ankle issue. So hopefully this isn't something that's going to plague him at the next level, but perfect example of someone who's had a lot of time to recuperate. So either he is a seventh round pick or an, an undrafted free agent, probably where a team may just actually sit him on a practice squad for a year or just kind of use him more on special teams and let him develop and make sure that he's fully healed uh, from the injuries that have kind of plagued him uh, during his career at Colorado State and then at Texas State. i got one more set of brothers for you. You have them in the Mountain West Conference, and you're all defensive team this year, uh, and they are out of Utah, Utah State. You know who I'm going for here? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely, and we're – we're talking about uh, the, uh, the, the player of the year there with Zach and Nick. Um, and with, with Zach, he's, he's a guy that, that we saw that was, was just going to just make tackle after tackle. He's a guy that's very reminiscent of a, of a Luke Keekley. He seems to be around the ball uh, no matter where we go, where we're talking about the Vigil brothers here. Um, but with, with Nick, his, everyone kind of expected him to be the ascension. And once, uh, once his brother moved on this year, he was going to kind of take that throne, have two years at Utah State where he's going to put up some big numbers. Well, Kyler Fackerel, who's actually another a guy who was really looked at to, to kind of be the star of this linebacking core, uh, was an underclassman and, and looking to be a player who, with a solid year, could have declared and been an actual uh, 
second or third round pick for this draft, much like a Bobby Wagner, who's doing very good for the Seahawks, stayed through his senior year, but Sackle uh, was a guy who was kind of on even par. A lot of people thought he was going to be the same type of prospect. Uh, he went through some injury issues and miss, has missed most of the season, and because of that, Nick kind of had to step in and I think kind of accelerated his play because of that. He's putting, he's, he's kind of doing what everyone thought he would, but he, he just had to do it a little bit sooner. We got to see the brothers kind of rule for Utah State there. Unfortunately, they, they've went through four quarterbacks this year. Utah State, Sucky Keaton came back, and they've just been decimated uh, at the quarterback position. Still able to, to have a solid season, but that was a team that I thought was going to be the Marshall of this year, maybe Boise State. If you would have told me at the beginning of the year who's that small school that had the shot at, at getting in a major bowl, my money probably would have been on Utah State. And I think with the, the lack of injuries, if, if they would have been healthy on offense, it would have been interesting to see how they would have actually done. And, and I thought maybe they could have been that team. But the defense was solid, is usually solid at Utah State. I think more and more NFL teams are looking at this program because they are consistently turning one or two defensive players out per year that are either higher draft picks or someone that you can bury on a practice squad that's going to help your team in about two to three years. Want to learn more about the Mountain West Conference? Go to draftside.com, see DJ's all-Mountain West Conference team. You can see first and second team for offense, defense, special teams, and then you can see a list, the top draft prospects by position. It's not only in Mountain West, he's got it done for, he's got it done for the American Athletic Conference, came out today. He's got it done for the MAC Conference, the Sun Belt, Conference USA, and then again, it's going to be the Big Five. Uh, it's going to be starting with the ACC. We'll then do the Big 12, go to the Big 10, and then the two conferences that seem to be head and shoulders above everyone, uh, the Pac-12 and SEC. And I think the SEC is still the conference, the best conference out there, but, it, it's, but it, it's two conferences at the top now. I think uh, the Pac-12 is in the same, I'd say the same air. Um, the, the gap has definitely been closed, and I think the Pac-12 deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as the SEC, although I still think the SEC is the power conference, but uh, the Pac-12, no slouch, a lot of prospects from that, from that, uh, from that conference, and you know, that, that uh, was a very interesting race this year, and uh, you know, Oregon kind of ran away with their division, but uh, down in the, other, in the other bracket, just about anyone had a chance in some quality schools just, just everywhere. Yeah, I think when it comes to conferences, it comes in cycles. Uh, I think when USC was dominating, you could have made a good argument that the Pac-10 Pac or Pac-12 um, was dominating at that point. I think it was about eight years ago, I remember having a, a real conversation with someone about whether or not the Big Ten or the SEC was the better conference. And at that point, we looked up some numbers, and the Big Ten had more prospects in the NFL they won more bowl games. Now it's not even a question. So I think I think every five every five years it runs in cycles. This might be the Pac-12 starting to come back again, and uh, by next year, the year after, they become the power conference once again. And I think a lot of that comes with winning. When all these teams win and teams in their conference win, then all of a sudden they start getting great recruits. They start getting great draft picks. And people want to go to their school. And, um, and I think that's how it starts. And that's how everything, momentum shifts around the conferences. Yeah, I think the biggest problem facing the Pac-12 right now is it's been a little too much of a coaching carousel. I think if we start to see some stability at the top, at the top level with uh, 
there's just been a number of schools that have just lost uh, some coaches or there's been some, some movement around there. Not that, that one or two universities that have that guy that's been cemented there for 10 to 15 years that uh, people are know are going to be a rock. I, I think the biggest kind of detraction right now from the Pac-12 is a little bit of a coaching carousel. So sometimes recruits are turned off because they're not quite sure if that coach is going to be there for their whole four-year tenure. Right. Well, that's what you're seeing in the Big Ten right now. With uh, you have Michigan, uh, Wisconsin can't keep any of their coaches. Nebraska, I'm sure Northwestern, Patrick Gerald might be out on its way. Kirk Ferenz, they're talking about every year, is going to move on to something greater, and he continues to stay. So I, I think what you said about uh, what was the Pac-10 is true for the Big Ten right now, is that they're having trouble getting these big-time recruits. Yeah, and, uh, well, of course, we can, we can throw James Franklin in that mix with uh... – Penn State just having Bill O'Brien for a couple of years doing a great job patching things up after Joe Paterno, who, I mean, that, that guy looked the same from 1973 on to like 2005. It was just amazing. I don't think the guy ever aged. I think he came out of the womb looking like a 45-year-old man, but, you know, he was there forever. He was Penn State football. So Bill O'Brien did a very admirable job, not only kind of guiding that program uh, once Paterno was gone, but of course the scandal and everybody knows what happened there and uh, you know, he only lasted two years before the jump to the NFL came. So we've got James Franklin in the mix there now who's been good at just about every stop. Um, was at Vanderbilt, uh, was a was a, uh, an assistant at Maryland for a number of years with Ralph Region and was actually looked at by some, some NFL teams. So uh, another guy. Uh, yeah, the Big Ten's uh, going through the, the coaching carousel as well. DJ, who do you think in the college ranks is the most likely coach to transition into the NFL successfully? I've been saying for years, like you said about Kirk Ferenz, I, I thought that yeah, you, you wonder if, if the time is ever going to be right. Even though you, Iowa doesn't have those, those power teams that are consistently in the top ten, he just seems to be a guy who gets it. He seems to have that program and, and the, gets the most out of his players uh, that, that, that transition well at the NFL level. There's always been some talk about Bob Stoops. There was actually some talk this year that he was actually going to get the Cleveland job. We, we've heard him mentioned a couple of times uh probably someone who i think could be fairly successful at the next level art bryles was a name we heard a lot about uh, who's uh obviously done well in his short tenure at baylor and baylor was very wise to kind of lock him down and uh, pin the, the contact extension and try to keep him in baylor uh, a school that's now won either one outright or a share of the big 12 for two consecutive years so i think those are some uh prospects and you know we're even hearing a little bit even though it's not been as publicized but from some players a little bit uh, closer uh, or some people I'd say kind of closer to to the programs and maybe even Jimbo Fisher at one point the the fact that this amazing run that he's going on and with what Jamie Winston Jameis Winston has done we, we all expect him to turn pro and the fact that he has not lost if he can actually guide him through to, to a, a second consecutive undefeated season and, and a second national title that maybe the time for him is right. It might be a Jimmy Johnson or a Dennis Erickson type moment where they're, they kind of leave on top. Uh, you got to imagine that a person with that type of pedigree, someone who was an assistant for a long time as well before getting that head coaching chance, he's, he's quote, paid his dues. That uh, He's someone, I think, uh, at the next level. Now, uh, Charlie Strong, even though we, we see what's going on in Texas, I think he's starting to right the ship. They were playing better toward the end of the year. But, uh, but again, with the 
I'd say the focus on diversity at the NFL level uh, and the fact of trying to get more minority coaches, uh, not, not only coaches but executives involved at the NFL level, um, the success that he had at Louisville. And I think he's showing a, a stern kind of fist and really, even though it was 7-5, and five, it wasn't the majestic season that Texas was hoping for, uh, I think that a lot of people realize that program is, is very close to getting, quote, back on track. And we could see some double-digit wins out of, out of Texas. The recruiting program seems to be getting a little bit. And uh, I think that he's a guy that, you know, maybe if he uh, uh, gets the right type of offer from the NFL again and, and uh, the fact that we're going to see uh, a focus on more minority coaches uh, being interviewed for at the NFL level and possibly even taking jobs, that he's a name that we'll probably hear as well. Well, speaking of going pro, let's talk about some of the underclassmen who have so far declared for the 2015 draft. Are there any big surprises for you? I, I know we talked about Gerard Holloman. Any big surprises for you? Well, well, Holloman just declared, and uh, Sammy Coates, the, the wide receiver for Auburn, I think a lot of people were expecting him in the beginning of the year to actually uh, declare. He is one of the fastest wide receivers when it comes to just being fleet of foot and just absolute speed. He's he's definitely going to attract or be a deep threat for a number of teams. But for me, he wasn't really the offensive focus. Uh, there were some other people that kind of stole his thunder, per se, and he, he didn't really get the amount of looks, didn't make the, the number of clutch catches that I think were, is really going to turn a lot of teams on. And the fact that it, it just seems to be kind of a one-trick pony, a guy that's just going to get open and just fly down the field. Um, I thought that he would have needed another year to kind of polish his game and really show that, again, he's not just a speed demon. He's a guy that can actually run some routes. You can count on to uh, be that third down guy and move the chains. Uh, again, he's going to be attractive. He, he will be picked probably by the third or fourth round. But, you know, people were, were looking at him as a possible first-round pick, definitely a second-round pick, but a guy that anywhere from the mid-first to the early stages of round two, uh, they were thinking this guy would be off the board. That's not going to be the case, but it looks like he's thrown his hat into the ring anyway. And to me, that's really a surprise because his draft stock really kind of took a hit this year. I think he's probably about two rounds lower than a lot of people would have expected. So, so I thought that we would have seen him work on his game a little bit and really kind of shown that, that he was going to be a, a first or second round pick for, for 2016. So that, that to me is probably the biggest surprise. Uh, Gerard Holloman, probably the gem right now, uh, Devin Funches, who, you know, Michigan definitely struggled. He didn't put up the big numbers there either, but I think a lot of people see the value and the fact that we're seeing larger receivers at the NFL level. I was thinking of, of Funches more as a, as a tight end uh, or a wide receiver in a tight end's body, but he could be that wide receiver. We're seeing more and more people like a Mike Evans at the next level that is making that size work. So someone who's versatile that, that could be a tight end or a wide receiver, maybe picked by a team that has needs at both places. Uh, and he, he looks to project at the end of the first round. So he could be a guy going to a team that is already established, that's already a playoff team, just looking for maybe that one piece. Maybe if he needs, he's not even a focal point, but just someone to kind of draw some attention away from some other receivers. I think he'll be hotly sought after, maybe even a team like New England who you know, has, has undergone a lot of uh, turmoil and, and injuries and you know, obviously the Aaron Hernandez thing uh, at tight end so that maybe he can come in and actually uh, provide kind of a spark. And uh, a, a team like that would be great for Devin Funches. And I think because of that, we'll see him at the end of the first round as well. 
Are there any guys that you think will not declare that probably should declare? I'm a little bit surprised. We, we've talked a little bit about some, some redshirt sophomores. We talked about maybe Jacoby Glenn going, uh, Gerard Holloman's going, uh, Leonard Floyd, who I, I think that the SEC has shown, you know, they've got some very good pass rushers, but they didn't have anyone that really stepped up and blew everyone away. Shane Ray is a great prospect. Alvin Dupree is a very good prospect. I think he's a little bit overrated just because of uh, Zadarius Smith on the other side. I don't think enough people – talk about what he does and the fact that uh, he's able to sometimes take uh, some attention away and it leads to uh, Dupree, I think, having his numbers inflated just a bit. But Leonard Floyd played fantastic for Georgia. Georgia's got so many linebackers there. Uh, Georgia's maybe becoming a linebacker for the next five to six years. The amount of very good linebackers are going through that university right now is mind-boggling. And uh, again, maybe a little bit too one-dimensional, but just a pure pass rusher. Looking at him, again, I, I don't like to make comparisons that often, but sometimes you just look at someone and he's just very reminiscent. Uh, he, looked ex- he looked like an Elvis Doomerville when, when he was at Louisville. There were a lot of questions about his size and whether he could get it done at the NFL level. Uh, Floyd, it's a little more weight when, it, when it's not Doomerville. is actually under six feet tall. But again, kind of some size issues, but he's just so explosive off the ball and seems to keep his lane assignments. It's not all just about rushing the passer with him. Again, that is his obvious strength, but he has shown that he's very good in run support and his play recognition is worlds ahead of where we normally see a sophomore. So uh, obviously he can change his mind. We're, we're about a month away from the official quote deadline for declaring, but he seems to all early indications is that he'll be coming back to Georgia. And I thought if any redshirt uh, sophomore aside from Gerard Holloman, would declare and be a surefire first-rounder, it would have been Leonard Floyd. Let's talk about uh, another SEC defensive player. He's on the line of Florida, Dante Fowler. What do you think about him as a prospect? Uh, Dante Fowler, I think we hear so much about upside. Sometimes it's a term that's used a little bit more ad nauseum. There's not a true what what does upside really mean. But with Fowler... He's a guy that just shows you glimpses of being very dominant, and there's other times where he just seems to disappear or kind of be mysteriously absent or unproductive for large stretches of a game. But when he makes his present known, I mean, it's not just making a big play, it's being dominant. Uh, this is a team that without him, he, he may have been responsible for two to three wins this year um, just because of his play alone. Uh, the stats may not indicate it, but if you were to tell me maybe the top three to four defensive players who made the most impact on their team and the success that the team had, Dante Fowler would be there. When he is on, he is just on. But, uh, again, there's some risk. There's some risk in taking him because, uh, one, I, th- I think the stigma for Florida linemen are there. Uh, we've, seen, uh, we've seen some other, quote, can't-miss prospects in the past that uh, the, the Florida style of play is just not translated at the next level. So I think – there's a little bit of a stigma there, and the fact that sometimes he can be a little too aggressive with the pass rush, and he, he can kind of – he's guilty of over-pursuit or kind of leaving that his, uh, his lane assignment. But uh, the instincts just seem to be there. When, when he uh, guesses right, he can, he can really make a big play and turn the tide of a game in a hurry. And we all know about the lack of offensive punch that's been there in, in Florida – and, and Fowler was responsible for either keeping them in games or down outright winning games that without him they probably shouldn't have won. So 
I like him. I think he's going to be very successful at the NFL level, but I don't think he's a guy that's going to step in and just be an immediate star. I think he's a guy that we could see kind of being lackluster or maybe splitting some time for a year or two, and then by about season three or four, he really puts it together, kind of takes off. So I, I think a team that takes him has to really be patient with him, but eventually it's going to pay off, and I, I think he will be successful. There's another defensive end who declared early who I'm not a big fan of. I think he's shown a lot of promise, and he's the type of player that might do really well in the workouts, and some team is going to be enamored with him. But it won't be me if I was that GM, and that's Eli Harold out of Virginia. What are your thoughts on him? A little bit puzzled as to why he declared now. Uh, I think that he's a guy, again, uh, the stats are there. He, that's a team that's been under some turmoil. They've actually – not only undergone some coaching changes, but they've undergone some some schematic changes. I've kind of run three different systems in three seasons. So I think that teams are kind of going to give him a break because of that. I think the biggest question with him is uh, there's he just always seems to be playing hurt. I think at this level, it's not just the major injuries, but he always seems to be playing through some type of nagging injury. Uh, there's been and there's been some back issues with with. I think if there's any area sometimes you hear about a player with an ACL tear or some other type of major injury where sometimes, you know, after that, that tear, they, they go to the next level and they're fine and sometimes they're even better than ever. But uh, I, I'd say if there's one area or one kind of injury that if I'm an NFL GM, I'm, I'm looking at more than any other, it's, it's back injuries because it's not just the back Sometimes uh, your body trying to compensate for some past damage or some injury that's occurred with your back, you, you find yourself having some problems uh, with your legs, with your ankles, with your knees, just because of, again, compensation of that prior injury. That's always something I'm a little bit leery of, and he's had some back problems in the past. So as far as the play, there's potential there. He's not a bad player, and the fact that there's been so many scheme changes – but I'm very leery that the, the back issues and just the lingering issue uh, injuries that he's gone through. I thought if he would have stayed another year with a solid season, this is a guy who could have been a second or third round pick. But uh, uh, the fact that he's uh, committing now, to me, it's very surprising. He's probably probably a fifth rounder. I believe I have him in the fourth or fifth round in our latest mock. Uh, a guy that I think is going to be in the later stages of the mid round uh, of the 2015 draft. DJ, is there anyone who's had a major injury that teams are overlooking right now that might uh, that might either jump up in the draft or be able to make an, a real impact in his first year as a rookie in the NFL? Well, one of the guys uh, I think kind of put it together this year, and we talked about him, and he's at, actually out of the Mountain West, but Garrett Grayson, who it wasn't just one injury. He's had a series of kind of injuries, and this is really the first year that he's really been healthy, and he had a, a fantastic season for Colorado State. There's definitely some issues there. I don't think if you're a team looking for a guy that's going to step in and be a starter uh, that, that this is a guy you look for. But if maybe if you've got an aging veteran on the team or you're just looking for a solid backup and you've got a, an extra pick to kind of burn, this is a guy who he just seems to be very cerebral, seems to be one of these, these characters who not only is he going to be a good player, but he, he just looks like he could be a coach. Um, he's kind of got that Rich Gannon uh, – here I am, I'm talking about I don't like to make comparisons, but I'm doing it again. But <laughs> kind of a, a Rich Gannon type of aura to his game. And I think he could be a, a very good find, even if he's not just in the game, but what he can provide uh, to, a, to a quarterback that maybe he's under uh, and kind of seeing from 
maybe another view, someone else who plays the position might be uh, actually helping out or, or seeing things that maybe his starter might not be aware of. I think that uh, Garrett Grayson and the fact that, again, he just hasn't been very healthy. First year, he really kind of put those injuries behind him, and he just had a, a fantastic year. I think if he were on a team that were in a bigger conference, we would have talked about him as a possible uh, guy in New York. Yeah, he had a very statistically a very solid season, one of the ten, definitely one of the ten best uh, quarterbacks in America, probably top five overall, and uh, I believe he ended number ten on in the uh, the final count for our uh, our Heisman watch that we had each and every week. Any any surprises for the award winners that that uh, were announced these past two weeks? I mean, it's not the it's not the glamour position. The uh, bio, the uh, the kicker who actually won the Lou Groza as a freshman for Florida State, that guy is about as automatic as there is. Um, Mason Crosby was very good when he was at Colorado. He's definitely the best kicking prospect that I've seen since then. Maybe going back to Sebastian Janikowski, also from Florida State, who was famously taken in the first round. But uh, he's not eligible. He's a true sophomore. But the fact that he did not win the award this year was, was very surprising. I think that uh, it seemed to be, again, it's not the glamour position, but if there was maybe two or three awards that you thought were a slam dunk, that was one of them. Um, I, this is a guy that by next year, he has another season like he did uh, in, in his freshman and sophomore year. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen a kicker taken this high, but he's a possible third or fourth round pick, believe it or not. He is that, he's as close to a sure thing again, probably the, oh, in about 14 or 15 years of doing this, he, he could end up being the, the top graded kicker that I've seen. He's definitely uh, the best since Mason Crosby, who was very, very highly rated coming out of Colorado. And uh, I was very surprised that he did not win the award. Well, the odd thing is Mason Crosby actually went in the sixth round. I think he was hurt a little bit because the year before, uh, Stephen Guskowski went in the fourth round, and he proved to be great. But the year before that, Mike Nugent, you remember him? He was picked in the second round by the New York Jets. I don't think. And, yeah, and Nate Kading the year before was in the third round. So I think – after uh, after a year or two of Mike Nugent, I think teams are starting to say, okay, well, maybe we're overrating kickers a little bit, and, <laughs> and that's how Mason Crosby fell the sixth round. But it would be interesting to see him, um, a guy like that who's, you know, as automatic as you say. That's a that's a difference maker in a team. You're, you're seeing a lot of teams struggle this year with their kickers and dropping guys left and right and picking up different guys and trying them out. And I think if you could have a kicker for ten years, I'd – you can rely on and you don't have to worry about by the time you get to the playoffs that's one thing that uh you know you know will help you get through to the next to each round yeah not just uh but uh the kickoffs as well i think that's something that's vastly overlooked uh the fact that you, you want those kickers that, that that kick it deep and don't give you the chance to return and this is the second consecutive year aguayo's actually been number two in the nation uh in, in kickoffs and the amount for touchbacks it's a over Something that's really overlooked, and if anyone wants any evidence of that, the, the leader last year, the only one to beat Aguayo, was Cody Parkey, uh, who went into Indianapolis Colt camp uh, out of Auburn, and he was so good that the Eagles actually traded for him. It's, it's very, it's not often you see actual uh, a draft pick actually sent for an undrafted free agent, but he was doing so well, and with Adam Vinatieri there really uh, knew that, that Cody Parkey wasn't going to see the field, but he's playing so well that the Eagles weren't the only team that actually, uh, three or four teams that actually inquired about him as well. And now um, 
it, it, at his current pace, he's only missed two field goals, and uh, right now he would actually set the NFL uh, rookie record for accuracy. So if that keeps up, well, we've seen some success there, and I think Aguayo's in that same mold. Well, speaking of the Eagles, uh, after their performance against Dallas this week, do you think they have any shot at making the playoffs this year? I think there's still a shot, but uh, a lot of uh, – it's not going to be through the wild card. I mean, we've seen now that the Eagles are actually out of the playoff hunt as we speak, and the two teams that are actually in front of them, one green, being Green Bay, which surprises a lot of people because they are tied with Detroit, but Detroit actually holds the tiebreaker. So Green Bay would be – uh, the number one uh, team as far as uh, the uh, the wild card, number two would be Seattle, and those are both teams that the Eagles have lost to. Uh, Seattle actually has a shot at Arizona this week if they beat Arizona. But both have the same record, and, and Seattle would actually have the, uh, the tiebreaker and actually take the division. Arizona's already qualified for the playoffs. But if that happens and Arizona drops back into a, a wild card spot, well, guess what? The Eagles lost to them as well. So, even though they're nine and five and they've controlled their own destiny and they've lost, I think the Eagles still have to be optimistic. Things are are definitely looking up for them. At least they've lost to teams that they should be losing to. They're not losing to the bad teams. I think they're just a, a tick behind these teams for being at um, the top of the NFC Heat. The only team they really hold a tiebreaker with would be Dallas, since they have actually split the season series. It comes down to division record. Where the Eagles are three and one, Dallas is three and two. Dallas gets the Redskins the last week. The Eagles get them this week. They probably take turns on beating uh, beating up on them. The Eagles finish with the Giants. So assuming they would take care of business and win both games, uh, the best chance for the Eagles is to tie with Dallas, or because uh, they'll have the tiebreaker. And Dallas has a home game this week, but it is against Indianapolis, and that's definitely not a gimme. Andrew Luck's a uh, Money quarterback, you look the last two seasons, he's had more fourth-quarter wins. Well, I think he's actually tied with Russell Wilson for fourth-quarter comeback wins. And all three seasons he's been in the league, he actually has the highest uh, the highest quarterback rating uh, in dome games. Of course, he plays his games in the dome. Dallas has that retractable roof and kind of uh, close to a dome environment. So uh, this is a place where he can come in and thrive. So I think it's going to be a close game, but if uh, the Eagles' best bet right now is uh, they're big Colt fans this week. But if the Colts uh, end up losing to Dallas, I think it's pretty much mute. It's not going to matter what happens. The Eagles could be 11-5 and five and missing the playoffs. Do you think if the Eagles miss the playoffs at 11-5 and five or even 10-6, and, 10 and six, do you think they'll riot in, uh, in Philadelphia, knowing that a Carolina team might make it at 5-9-1 or 5-10-1? <laughs> uh, you know, we heard a little bit about this last year. It's kind of funny because for years it was the NFC West that were – you know, I think it was the year the Rams, actually, with, with Sam Bradford. It was 79, and they won. And like you say, things happening in cycles. The NFC West is, is one of the power conferences now. I, I don't think they should because I think there should be a division. There, there should be a division winner represented everywhere. That's why we play division games. It, it does kind of stink because I, I think if Eagle fans do riot, the one thing they'll point to is the fact that the Eagles absolutely decimated the Panthers in a Monday night game that I was actually at. Um, so they, they laid waste to them. So I think maybe because of that, it would leave a sour taste in a lot of Philadelphia Eagle fans' mouths. But um, I think the NFL is doing the same thing. It, it, there's some people calling for a reform of the system, but I think you need a division winner everywhere. I just think the Eagle fans need to realize that they're not drafting Marcus Mariota. They need to just relax. That's, that's not going to 
Eagles would not pay the hefty price. It's an interesting point, though, because one of the things uh, in, in the mock that I currently have in the fifth round, I have the Eagles taking Brian Bennett from southeast Louisiana. And a lot of people say, why Brian Bennett? Why would they take a gamble on a small school guy? Well, a lot of people fail to realize where Brian Bennett started his career. He started at Oregon. He was actually the starting quarterback ahead of Marcus Mariota. Broke his hand. Mariota went in. The rest was history. Marcus Mariota was only a three-star recruit. Brian Bennett was supposed to be the guy that was the chosen one for, for Oregon. He was a solid four-star, possible, you know, kind of a borderline five-star recruit. This, uh, this was a guy who was a top 50 guy in the nation. So uh, he played very well at that small, small level. So the possibility of people say that Kip Kelly, quote, wants his guy in a system, uh, he could be going with Marcus Mariota White, the guy that he used to have, Brian Bennett, out of southeast Louisiana, and another small school guy that definitely deserves mention for this draft. Uh, Brian Bennett, wasn't he a, was he a two-way player at all? Did he play a little defense? Uh, he played some cornerback and safety as well. He's a, And not only that, a very good baseball player. He's a guy that uh, really could have uh, actually went on scholarship as a baseball player, not only at Oregon but some other institutions. Um, when he went to Oregon, for it really – not only came down to is he going to be playing football or baseball, but it was is he going to Oregon to play football or is he going to Mississippi State to play baseball? Um, that's really kind of what it came down to. So a very good athlete, someone who's agile enough, very good runner, doesn't have that cannon arm, doesn't have the, the prototypical huge size, but seems to make some pretty good decisions. Uh, there's still some flaws in the game, but uh, overall you can see why. You can see the – set and you can see why he was such a high recruit so I think if, if the Eagles take anyone at the quarterback position and I think they will at some point uh, that's more the type of player they will look towards. Let's go on to the AFC real quick. Uh, which team that's hunting for the playoff spot are you hoping is going to sneak in? For sentimental reasons I would love Buffalo to get in there. I think it's a, it's a bit of a long shot right now but that, that that win over Green Bay, that was just an absolute jaw-dropper because of the fact that Aaron Rodgers has just been playing on a, a historical level. Again, it wasn't at home where he's, I think, got like 33 touchdowns and no interceptions over the last couple of seasons. But still, just, you know, Buffalo's been competitive. Even the games they've lost, they've, uh, they haven't really been blown out a lot this year. And, you know... The fact that they got the win, they may not make the playoffs, but that 8-6, and six, it's their first non-losing season, I believe, in 11 years. And there's always some turmoil there. There's always, you know, the, the, the questions that surrounded the scale of the team earlier this year. Do they stand Buffalo? Are they going to Toronto? There's always questions that seem to surround Buffalo. And uh, if there's ever a city where I think could really kind of deserve kind of a boost or kind of that Cinderella-type run, Buffalo could be it. You have Kyle Orton, who always seems to be the band-aid at the quarterback position. But they've got a pretty solid defense. Uh, there's, And, again, I, I've, I've said uh, on this program before, aside from J.J. Watt, Marcel Darius had maybe the best defensive tackle in the NFL right now and is probably second uh, to J.J. Watt in, in my – if I had a ballot for the NFL player, the uh, defensive player of the year. So I, I would love to see Buffalo sneak in. I think that would be a great story. One, just to have Buffalo, two, uh, and, and two, I think just, I think a lot of NFL fans, they respect New England, but they're, they're looking for a team to actually kind of give them a run for their money. It's kind of becoming a cakewalk every year for Indianapolis with the resurgence ever since they've got Andrew Luck and, and 
New England winning the division. I think uh, in both divisions, NFL fans are looking for a little more competition or for another team to step up and kind of make sure that those teams, if they're going to win, it's not going to be in a cakewalk. A lot of times these guys are clinching in the 13th or 14th week of the season. All right. Uh, any any parting thoughts, DJ? Yeah, and we talked about the AFC. Uh, I still, I don't know, to me, my sleeper team is still the Steelers. They have proved year in and year out they can win on the road. When they absolutely need to put together a good offensive performance, they do it. Ben Roethlisberger is having a great year. Le'Veon Bell has solidified that running position. I still say if there's a sleeper out there or any team that can make a run, and we've seen them win as a sixth seed before, Ben Roethlisberger can win on the road. Uh, I really think that the Steelers are the ultimate sleeper team in the AFC and possibly even the NFL. Uh, I, right now it would be them and the Ravens actually getting in on wild cards, as we see, they're both 9-5. and five. You've got the division leaders at 9-4-1, and one, and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh will, will play again. So Pittsburgh actually controls their own destiny with another win over Cincinnati. They could win that division, get an even better seed, and uh, I think they're very, very dangerous. Um, just something about New England or, or Denver, I'm just not completely sold. Uh, I, I would have to pick uh, right now. Seattle's just playing solid football. If I had to make a a snap judgment as far as who my Super Bowl teams would be at this moment. I'm facing that own Pittsburgh. All right. Bold predictions by DJ Boyer. Well, it's, uh, yeah, we, we like to be bold. We don't like to uh, follow the norm. Whatever we see here, it's what we like to project. And Seattle, obviously not the perfect team, but Green Bay's not the perfect team. There's, there's not that. Uh, it was really going to come down to home field advantage in the NFC, and I think that loss by Green Bay is r- really hurtful of their chances. I think Seattle's got a good chance at not only beating Arizona and taking control of the West this week, but taking control of the conference. Everyone who is riding on their fantasy playoffs with tonight's game, hopefully they win out. And um, anyone who's still involved, let's get you a finals win for a supporting draft site. And just to do a little bragging myself, your very own Jared Belson is still undefeated in one of his fantasy leagues and is that in is the amazing. finals. Undefeated regular season and playoff so far. One more week and we could see the miracle happen. Yeah, I was. Uh, my my season uh, came to a blow or uh, a crushing blow in the in the playoffs. Looked like everything was going well, and I ran into a was close to a seventy point lead, and I ran into a man that had two players to go, and those two players, unfortunately, were Tony Romo and Des Bryant. So uh, not only did the Eagles let me down, but from a fantasy standpoint. I ran into a fantasy two-headed buzzsaw right there and actually wound up losing by four points. It's a shame. That's, that's fantasy for you. And that's why we, we deal in the real drafts. So. <laughs> anyway, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Check out draftsite.com. DJ is going to continue with his all-conference teams this week. You're going to see the big five coming up. You're going to see new mock draft projections coming up throughout the week. And uh, we'll see you all next week. All right. See you guys. When the beat drops out.
sound. 